This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is the program called A Canny View. It's a program all about investments, insurance, and other money tips, and it's presented by personnel from the Stewart Group right here in Hastings. And it's our pleasure today to have in from the Stewart Group, Nick Stewart, who's here to talk all about the Trust Act 2019. Before we get to that topic, though, Nick, why would we, why would we set up a trust? Um, well, there are different reasons why people set up trust, but it, 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 in essence, you're putting assets in trust for the beneficiaries, and you're appointing trustees. Well, trustees are appointed uh, to uh, nurture and look after those assets um, for the benefit of the beneficiaries to, that are beneficiaries that are named, and also the beneficiaries that uh, are into the future, the unborn beneficiaries. There's also a thought out there, I think, that uh, trusts are there not so much to hide money but to protect money that no one else can touch except you. Is that right? Oh, partially. Um, look, um, there are different mechanisms and, and different um, rationales on why people set up trusts, but, look, they've been extremely popular in New Zealand. Mm. Um, there are an expected 300,000 to 500,000 trusts in operation in New Zealand. And that's phenomenal. That is the largest, I, I understand, mm. that is the largest number of trusts per head of capita in the world. Wow. Um, and there is no central register to actually know. So in other words, it's not like a company where, you know, Ken, I could log into the company's office right now on my iPhone and I could search for you as a director mm. and it would pull up, ping mm. every single entity that you're associated with or have historically been associated with. But unfortunately, with the trust, I cannot do that. It almost sounds a bit like bricks and mortar. There's an obsession with bricks and mortar, and there's an obsession with trust. What do you put it down to? <laughs> well, I think, well, certainly in this region of Hawke's Bay, where we are, you know, we're in the hinterland here, and a lot of people were protecting long-term assets um, as an intergenerational play, mm. e.g. a mm-hmm. farm or an orchard, etc., yep. and they would utilise a trust to do that. And there were a significant number uh, set up um, in this region and a lot of people for a period of time uh, a trust was used as a mechanism to protect the family's inheritance mm. from the um, state looking to um, it was around the retirement home uh, and care costs mm-hmm. but that was blown out of the water under the national uh, government yep. uh, the the former national government under John Keeble English um, and that was changed where they could look back at the gifts you'd made to your trust or to someone else going back for decades yeah. and that basically nullified the effect of having a trust um, to avoid the uh, care costs. A trust for everyone? No, no they're not no they're not. Um, look as a number of these changes have come in place, it's meant that the administrative and governance and management burden of having a trust is not small. So a number of people who 
um, really didn't have a large quantum of capital. Uh, now, I'm, when I use those words, I'm not saying that trusts are just for um, the so-called wealthy elite, mm. but a lot of people put small amounts of capital into trusts, and you know, a, a number have been unwinding those because the burden... I mean, look, for example, if you were going to transfer in your family home into a trust, and that was all it was ever going mm. to own, I mean, that might be fine. But if you were going to transfer, say, a $100,000 investment portfolio into a trust, and all of a sudden you're now having to file a... Um, set of annual accounts, uh, and you're having to employ and engage independent mm. trustees and legal advice. Do you can see what I mean? Yeah. That hundred thousand dollars, if it's returning seven yes. percent, you know, uh, set, um, seven grand gross, but you've got say embedded costs of three or four grand a year uh, yeah. in administrative burden. I, I just well, a, a I lot of people you. are saying. Don't do it. Yeah, okay. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, the modernization of mm. the Trust Laws 2019. Tell us a bit about that. What's, what does that mean for us? Well, um, look, you know, the this trust bill uh, replaces the Trustee Act of 1956. Mm-hmm. 1956, uh, a little bit before my time, Ken. <laughs> Not before mine, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, look, it's, it's, it's modernising it. Look, it's... Uh, that Trustee Act is one of the oldest uh, statutes on the parliamentary books. Uh, this brings it into the modern form. Um, it passed it with um, blessed with its royal assent last Tuesday. So a lot of naysayers said it would never come because there wasn't political appetite. Mm. I mean, this bill was in its founding form under... Oh, Simon Powell, Minister of Justice. Really? I mean, that's a long time ago. That's a long time between drinks, isn't it? But a very long time. I mean, we're talking a decade. Yeah. We're talking a decade. So, um, look, it has arrived. It passed last week and comes into an effect uh, as we all return from the summer holidays in 2021 on the 31st of January that year. Um, it will reshape and modernise the landscape of trust law in New Zealand. So what's it going to mean for the average person who is now currently involved in a trust? Well, yeah, mm, this is the interesting part. A lot of people mm. have an, so it's an 18 month transition, uh, or when I say transition, they have a, a, a period to think about what they're doing and get themselves up to speed or elect to move on mm-hmm. and, uh, for the trust to engage someone else. Um, but look, there are things like, uh, within the act, it's going to uh, make people aware of their changing rights and obligations. And I'll just list a few. So there's some mandatory duties on trustees. There's some default duties on those trustees. There's some record uh, record and retention requirements. So what do you have to keep and for how long? Yeah. There's some obli- – now, this is a big one – the obligations to inform beneficiaries. Yes. Mm, that's, that's quite a hairy chestnut, that one. <laughs> um, and there's some restrictions around the use of trustee exemption and indemnity clauses, which mm. I'd really like to touch on today. And the ability to delegate powers. So, look, that sounds really simple, what I've just said, but perhaps we could tease a couple of those out and it um, might bring people into uh, into the light of understanding about exactly what this means for them, A, as a set law, B, as a trustee, and C, as a potential beneficiary. I wonder, uh, it sounds simple, like uh, if someone says to you, oh, I'd like you to be a trustee... Um it sounds easy, doesn't it? Sound easy. And most people say, yeah, okay, I'll be a trustee. What, what's the, what could go wrong with agreeing to be a trustee? Okay, well, if, if we could just wind it back a touch, and let's say your your hypothetical question around a trust, and you asked me, well, look, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'll be a trustee. Hmm. Isn't it like being asked to be someone's godfather? Yes. Well, but conversely, if you said to me, Nick, 
I've got this company. Are you happy to be a director with me? Now that's one where you, <laughs> yes. you, you know, I, I, well, you know, and I would be like, um, you know, I'd have to do a mass due diligence process, have a full understanding. I'd need some insurance cover, etc., to be a director, because you know you don't just ask your um, ex rugby chum or your best man to be a director of your company unless you know it's sure. it's a serious obligation, mm-hmm. and a lot of people haven't treated being a trustee in the same light. So a lot of people are that I talk to are trustees of trusts and they don't have regular meetings um you know it's not really formalized in the way that it should have been Mm. and certainly the way it should be from uh january 2021 will you recommend that uh the people who are part of your trust should be professionals much like yourself oh um look i think that that's the way it's been going is that people have been engaging um people in the professional services to be their um, independent trustee. It uh, it doesn't need to be that way, but it just the people need to be cognizant mm. of their responsibilities. I mean, just like saying, you know, directors of companies, you know, um, anyone can be a director of a company. Um, but the fact is, is, you know, so long as they're fit and proper and, and, doing, a, and doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about record keeping. Well, that's an interesting one. And I was... <laughs> It was interesting. I, I knew you were going to ask me about that. So this morning I was beavering my way through the uh, – it's like a the St. James Bible, how big this bill is. <laughs> yes. So don't hit print if you're ever yeah. looking at it. Anyway, I was beavering my way through that, and and we found it. And it's – what it is, it's saying that effectively you can destroy the financial records after seven years. Mm. But – the um, the as- the schedule of assets, the records of decisions, uh, etc., and where the capital came from, the, the, the trust capital came from, that you can never destroy that. Mm. Now that may seem really strange. You say, well, it does. But, but, but Nick, you mean surely you just eventually it would be destroyed because it's stale. Well, the interesting thing with AML anti money laundering, mm. if you go and open a bank account for a trust. They say, Ken, can you tell us where the capital came from? Now, some of these trusts are up to um, 50, 60 years old. Mm. So, yeah. that, that, so that's why you don't destroy the records. But now, under this new legislation, what it means is that if I am a trustee and I am going to resign for whatever reason, and Ken, you are going to become the new trustee, I give you all of my records. Mm. So in other words, the records are never destroyed. I am passing them to the new trustee, mm. and in time, when you then retire as a trustee in due course, mm. you will hand them on to the next trustee. So in other words, they are never destroyed. They are handed on. And look, I went through it, and there's, my goodness, it's uh, there are pages and pages on this within the um, you know the trustee's obligations mm. to keep and give trust information. It's very, very clear that what if, you, you can't destroy it. It just gets handed on to the next trustee. What if that information isn't kept, though, and, for instance, uh, you resign and you hand it on to me and I'm not aware of uh, some of the information and then it's found to be a problem? As a new trustee, am I liable? Do I, I take would. on liability or do I say, oh, no, it was Nick? Go and see um, him. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one with that. Um, I would say that around this indemnity... Um, you know, seeking an indemnity would be difficult, and we'll talk about that that ahead. But it, it looked a little bit like with a company, you can come in 
And, um, I mean, you look at John Key, you know, he's mm, a director yeah, of ANZ sure. and all these fires that he's currently fighting with ANZ, they all occurred before his time. Yeah. It doesn't mean that he gets an, an indemnity or an exemption from that. John's in the hot seat. Sure. He's the chairman of ANZ Banking Group New Zealand. What sort of liability would a trustee have, though, if there was some sort of impropriety? Okay, well, look, the the liability um, for a trustee is limited by the um, assets of the trust. Mm. Uh, unless... Um, Unless it's a default to the uh, Inland Revenue Department, mm. to the taxman, they can go after the trustees in a personal capacity, uh, which is rather frightening. Um, and there are also some other areas where the trustees can be personally pinged. But, but I think, look, you know, going beyond the um, financial penalties if things go wrong, I think it, you know, it comes down to an emotional and reputational risk. Mm. A lot of people talk Indeed. about the financial. But for a significant uh, number of trustees, it's the um, look. Being a trustee is, you know, not easy. You know, you, no. you know, you're not there to rubber stamp things, and sometimes, you know, you have some difficult discussions that take place. But that's part of the problem, isn't it? That most people don't have those regular meetings, and is that where they fall over? I mean, yes, how often would you have a meeting if you were a trustee? Of well, a well, look, um, I mean, you know, most for me, you know, um, there's minimum, um, you know, one meeting a year. Mm. But you need, but we have meetings when other things arise because, you know, people's lives are interesting mm-hmm. at, 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 at periods of time. You know, the, um, the you know the the vehicle's moving very quickly. Other times it's moving slowly, and when there's lots of activity going on, more meetings are required. And look, I think it, it also comes down to the fact that a, a number of people are finding that they're actually having to pay people to be a trustee. Long gone are the days where someone just does it out of the goodness of their heart because, you know, being a trustee does have regal, uh, sorry, legal mm. and reputational risk. So if, it's, if a trust isn't for everyone, why is it for some people? Look, some people – it was. think about it like insurance. You know, like a life insurance policy or health insurance or income protection or trauma, that's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. But some people will pay for insurance. And the way, you know, with a trust, it's there is a cost to having it. But some people, it's part of their overall governance program and how they manage their assets and how they protect those assets generation to generation. That, and the other aspect is, you know, that they may be in a very litigious profession Mm -hmm. where they want to ensure that their assets and their family assets are secure and that are separate from their um, own hand. So we, this law has, hasn't been changed since 1956. Yes. So someone who thinks, oh, it's changed. Are, there, are the changes so huge that they're going to make a huge difference or is it almost business as usual? Uh, no, no, no. It would it, this this 18 months. Uh, sorry, yeah, this 18 month period ahead. I think people really need to seek some legal counsel, mm-hmm. talk to their lawyer. Um, the trust needs to have a meeting to discuss the ramifications of this and what changes need to be made. Uh, E.g., you know, there may be changes to the trust deed. Yep. But look, in simple in, in simple terms, you know, the duties on trustees are increasing. Um, they are going to have to supply information to beneficiaries and tell the beneficiaries that they are a beneficiary. Mm. And the beneficiaries are able to get a copy of the financial statements and see the trustees are managing the trust assets correctly. I mean, that is 
for some people, they're just going to say, that's just, sorry, that's not for me. I, you know, there are, I've seen some trusts with 10 beneficiaries. I mean, could you imagine going out to 10 beneficiaries yeah. and giving them a copy of all the financial statements and saying, oh, and by the way, um, you know, here I am. Um, these are the decisions we've made, and now you can hold me accountable. Yeah. Some people are going to say, oh, no, I don't want to do that. What might happen, uh, I'm, I'm, mm. I might not be on the right track at all, but what about, say, Trudy Waitangi? Um, you know, there, there must be trust there with um, hundreds, if not thousands, of people involved in uh, trust. Is that your responsibility as a trustee to get hold of every single person involved in that trust? Um, well, look, yeah, look, look, you know, a number of a number of the um, iwi entities, and, and look, mm. um, a number of the iwi entities come into uh, other statutes as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a crossover. Whereas this this main law reform here is um, focused on the. I would call it, you know, the more family Mom end of the market. Yeah. yeah. Because I noticed that um, that in terms of certain financial and commercial trusts, um, they are not that they're not specifically party to mm. uh, this piece of legislation. So there's trusts and there's trusts. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and look, um, you know, there are a significant number of commercial trusts in the um, field of investment management, and they are not tagged in this legislation. If you had to say what is the biggest pitfall mm-hmm. that, that one could be associated with in a trust, what is it? Well, the biggest pitfall is the is going forward is going to be the accountability to the beneficiaries mm-hmm. who you may the trustees um, may have not met. Now it's fine for mum and dad because it's mainly children and uh, possibly nieces and nephews, but for the independent trustee, they may not have met these parties before. And you know, being um, you know held to account on decisions is going to be something new, and also there's going to be a much more modern dispute resolution service, a little bit like for me as a financial mm. advisor, uh, and a, a, you know a client can lay a complaint against me, mm. and they can do it, and it doesn't have to go through court. It's a cheap and effective mechanism through a disputes uh, resolution provider. Well, they're bringing that same process in with trusts. So, so if you can imagine in the past, if you're a beneficiary and you are unhappy, unhappy with the trustees and what was going on, you would have had to go to court, and that, you know, it's a couple of hundred thousand dollars exactly. by the time you um, go through the process. Whereas this one here will be, I mean, imagine that you, you, you know, you could take a dispute against against the trustees at little cost, yeah. other than your own time. So, so, yeah, <laughs> you can see the transparency that's coming here. Yeah. And so that's why I make the comment that, um, you know, this is quite far reaching. And, and look, it's exciting. That it's exciting in the sense that it's good governance. A significant, uh, I, it's a large portion of wealth in this country is managed in, in family trusts. trusts. And so it, look, it, is it a good thing that they're going to be run better and held to account to the beneficiaries? Absolutely so. And that is evolution, just as our, um, Companies Act saw a multitude of reforms after the uh, 87 uh, crash. I wonder though, what could go wrong. I mean, you mentioned a bit earlier that uh, most trusts might be a, a home or a farm mm. or a legacy of a couple of yes. hundred thousand dollars. So let's just say it is a big house that might be worth a couple of million dollars. Let's be extravagant there. And we've got a legacy of the same. What could go wrong? I mean, what would the trustees be held to account for? The, the, <clears throat> the farm is still there. Uh, the money's in the bank. What could the... Sure. A trustee do, that's not 100%. Um, that they favour one child over another. Um, mm. um, the fact that the um, 
that the trust has been uh, raided like a piggy bank mm-hmm. um, by by one or two beneficiaries over another o- over the others. Uh, the fact that um, poor investment decisions were made, for mm-hmm. example, the you know in that hypothetical that mm-hmm. you just gave. They decide in 2005 that the, they're going to double the size of the dairy farm and buy the neighbour, mm. all on tick, with debt. Mm. And um, in 2007, they decide, oh, that's not so good, and the bank is starting to get on our back. So we sell the farm at a loss, and there's a, you know, the, the balance sheet or the financial statement of the right. trust shrinks because of a poor acquisition and then a poor divestment. I mean, look, that's, that happens. That's a horror story. It is, but 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 it does happen, and people make bad decisions. And <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, could you imagine? You know, and you and I have covered Bitcoin, yes, that's and right. we had a bit of fun with that over the last couple of years. Well, imagine if your family trusted bought Bitcoin at twenty thousand dollars, and today it's half that. How do you protect yourself as a trustee? Then would you have public liability insurance? If you say, "Oh, look, I made the wrong decision. I've just lost you five hundred thousand dollars." Yes, um, yes, you can uh, take out insurance. Um, a lot of people don't have it, but it would be. It's certainly a. <laughs> it's it's. I believe it's a must. Mm. Um, but what you do is you you run the you run the trust prudently. You engage independent expert advice, and so for most people around that that's around the investments, and you just do it properly. And you know you have processes and procedures in place. And look, this is just global best practice. Tell us about the indemnity factor, Nick. Certainly. Well, look, in the past, if there was a decision, and like, let's say hypothetically, Ken, you're a trustee, and you see a decision that you're unhappy with. So historically, mm-hmm. you would have asked for an indemnification so that that decision didn't come back on you down the track. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you still remain as a, a trustee, mm-hmm. but you received an indemnity. So happy days. Well, under the new legislation, so it starts in 18 months' time, to get that indemnification, you have to go out and seek the consent for the indemnification from every beneficiary. Now, that's not been done no. in the past. And here's the twist. The beneficiaries must receive legal advice before consenting to the indemnification. So it's highly unlikely you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why I said at the start... That's the big hairy chestnut, that one. Yeah. I suppose anyone asking for indemnity, you'd think, mm, well, it might sound a bit dodgy if you were saying in advance, well, cut me some slack because if, if yeah. anything goes wrong, it's not my fault. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so when people are asking for carve-outs, uh, yeah. indemnities, it's normally because um, they're pushing they're pushing something. Yeah. And, 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 and you, yeah, hence... Hence, I imagine going to five beneficiaries asking for indemnification. They're going to say over what mm. and for what, and then you have to send them at your cost, at the trust cost, mm. to go and get legal advice. Well, the, the, the <laughs> 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 I just see that it's going to be difficult and problematic. Is it expensive to come in and see you to either one set up a trust or two to go through the process of looking at an existing trust and saying, well, you know, this is what we should be doing? Um, so for us, we we have like a, um, a a bench of legal professionals that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't set up trusts. No. Um, that's that's in the um, uh, purview of the um, of the legal fraternity who do a great job locally, 
and there's some really good people in that in that sector. But in terms of for us, we look at the way that the administration has been done, the the lens, the investment lens in terms of how the investments are structured, allocated, is it prudent? Um, so that's where we come in, mm-hmm. and the cost of someone coming in and having a having a cup of coffee with us and just having a roll up the sleeve session. There is no cost in oh, doing that. That's something amazing. we give to the community. Yeah. Um, and then should someone want to engage with us to actually remedy some of the action items and change things, um, that's um, that's when um, that's when the meter starts. Yeah. Good on you. Nick, we're just about out of time. Just remind our listeners we want to come and see you at the Stewart Group. Where are you? We are in the Black Basalt Stone Building at 204 Academy Road in Hastings. It's the Black Basalt Stone Building with a tartan logo. You can't miss it. As always, our pleasure, Nick. You look after yourself. We'll talk to the same time, same place next time. Thank you. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.